there. Welcome to the Performance Lab podcast. My name is Ann Backen. And I'm Stephen Earnhardt, and we're both second year grad students here at Sarah Lawrence. Today we have with us Kamala Sankaram. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, could you tell us a bit about what you workshopped with us today? Sure. So today uh, in the grad lab, we talked a lot about collaboration and listening and techniques and exercises that help to sort of expand your listening awareness to those around you, um, mainly focusing on the sonic space. Cool. Um, you are a graduate of Sarah Lawrence, right? Yes. Um, so I was just curious about what your experience was like here and also what it's like to return here. <laughs> um, well, Sarah Lawrence was kind of a shock to my system when I got here. <laughs> I, I grew up in a very small town in California, and um, I had been to New York City once before coming out here to go to college, and I definitely was not totally prepared for for what Sarah Lawrence was like. Was, I was a very... Um, I guess, focused student. I got straight A's. I didn't talk in class. I just was like, I'm going to get my grades, and then I'm going to get out of here. And then I got to Sarah Lawrence, and of course, you're expected to talk a lot. And there were no grades when I was here, so it was the complete Still opposite. Really yeah. Um, so I, I went from being very focused on my grades and not talking to learning how to talk. And I, I really think that Sarah Lawrence taught me how to think because when I was in high school, I was mainly focused on trying to test well. And I didn't have to write papers or anything. And of course, that, that changed when I got here. Um, so I think it's, I think it really helped me to break out of being a very shy and kind of straight-laced person in a lot of ways and to, to being more creative and open. Um, and it's, it is funny coming back because um, some things are very, very different and then some things are completely the same. Like the, the theater building is the same. The workshop theater is the same. There's now a gigantic student center that definitely was not there. Uh, the pub seems to be closed, so <laughs> that's also interesting. Um, but it's it's nice to, to come back and see that uh, y'all are still doing and thinking in similar ways from when I was here. Was the grad, I don't think the grad program had come about before you, when you were here, is that correct? It was very, very small. I think mm -hmm. there were like two theater mm -hmm. grad students. <laughs> so um, it's definitely evolved. Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, so you and I both recently worked on a piece of yours, which was looking at you at Your Arts, and we talked a little bit during that project about how Sarah Lawrence influenced your work. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your work in general and how Sarah Lawrence has kind of evolved your thinking and then specifically about that piece, what in your time here led you to create that? Sure. Um, so looking at you as sort of a hybrid opera theater piece dealing with privacy online and um, algorithms and 
I, I do think that the way that I pro approach my work uh, is very much rooted in my time at Sarah Lawrence's. I, did, I talked about this a little bit in the grad lab also. Um, because it tends to be multidisciplinary and multi-genre. And that is something that I, I started to think about while I was at Sarah Lawrence. I was a music, we, well, we didn't have majors. I don't know if you have majors now, but okay. So I yeah. was a music third, but also I did theater in the context of that music third. And I also studied many other things and Part of what interests me in making theater in particular is looking for these connections between different disciplines in order to support storytelling. Um, so that piece was very, very collaborative between different disciplines. It was computer programmers and privacy researchers and then theater people, video uh, musicians, a saxophone trio and a piano and electronics. And so it's all of these different disciplines coming together and a multi-genre piece in that it used opera and also some EDM and some jazz. Um, and so I, I do think it was a very Sarah Lawrence piece in that it had all of these dis different things coming together uh, to make some something that I hope was coherent, <laughs> but, uh, but, but was very, very eclectic. You brought up this, the idea of the nature of a conductor, you mm -hmm. know, and when there is not one, that um, it requires even a deeper listening between people. And, and on a project like the one you just described, I guess, it, it, was there a conductor? Like, how does a collaboration like that work, and how did you, quote-unquote, listen to each other, and how did some of that crossover of genres work in terms of, from the music point of view? Um, this particular piece, there was a conductor, which was really important because there were all of these moving parts to it. Um, so we had the music was one component, and then there was also a very in-depth video design that included personal information and photos data mined from the audience for each show. So the music had to be synced up with the video very, very specifically. Um, but it was a collaborative process in that what the, what the data mining was able to do informed how the script was created, um, which also informed the music. Um, the music is informed by the, the story that needed to be told, but then also by the strengths of the particular performers who were in it. So um, the saxophone trio was all people that I had worked with before who are improvisers, and so they were able to take certain uh, verbal instructions and translate them into music in a way that other players might not have been. And similarly, all of the singers were people who were capable of crossover styles, that they could sing operatically, but also in a more pop or gospel style. And so the piece was really built on the people that performed it. Um, and made in this, in this deep collaboration with these computer programmers. When we started working on the piece, we knew that we wanted to do data mining, and we knew that we wanted to have a chorus of tablet computers who could all sing in sync with each other and also show synced content, but then also different streams of content, and nothing existed that would make that possible when we started working on it. And still, there's no software that allows tablet computers to sync 
wirelessly, and so the coders had to build it for the show. Um, so in that sense, then the, the text and the music drove the software design. So I think that we were all very involved in, in making this thing together. Um, and in that sense, it's, it's not a typical opera in that we, like if you were the programmer, you could comment on the libretto or the music, whereas it was in a canonical classical opera, there's a distinct hierarchy that doesn't allow that kind of cross-pollination. In a piece like Looking at You, where you've been working on it for many, many years, um, and you've had a lot of the same collaborators throughout the whole time, you're, and you're writing it with those collaborators, or you're writing it from the influence of those collaborators, do you then go back in your next draft and notate the changes that have been made based on any improvisations, or do you leave it as written and then know that those performers are going to make the changes that they have decided upon with you and the director? It's sort of an in-between space. So the score as it is now, it sort of denotes where there are spaces for improvisation um, and then a suggested improvisation if you don't feel comfortable making your own. Like this cadenza is written by Adrian Danrich and if you would like to use her cadenza, it's here, but you can also improvise in this spot. So, I mean, and then this is actually how opera has done it, is that traditionally, as you know, if you go back, there are all of these sections with famous cadenzas that, that some singer has composed that's there in the score now because this is what people do, but it's not something that the composer of the opera actually wrote. Um, there's a whole book of cadenzas, a Ricci book that has all of these different historical cadenzas you can do. Also, so it's not something that's necessarily new to opera. It's just we've sort of fallen out of the practice of it. So I just wanted to ask about your cultural background. You mentioned in the workshop you're half Indian, um, and gather grow up in, in in California, and that you were really interested in finding the connection between classical Indian music and and Western music. If I heard that right, yes. I'm just curious about from your from a personal point of view where your identity fits with that, and and just if you could talk a bit about that interest. Sure. I mean, I I think uh, I can only speak for myself specifically, but I know the common experience for mixed race people is this idea of being sort of between cultures and that's definitely something that I experienced uh, especially as a child and that my my father's friends were all Indian and so when I was very young and my parents were still together I was raised as an Indian kid but then when my parents split up um, I was raised more as a non-Indian kid. All of a sudden, my, my mom moved us to this town that was majority white. There were no other Indian people there, and so that part sort of fell away because I didn't really see my dad for the next 10 years, pretty much. And so when he and I began talking again, one of the first things that we did is we went to India together and my grandfather gave me a sitar to learn so that I would learn something about Indian music because I had been studying Western music the whole, the whole time I, from when I was seven. And, and so I think that it, it's really sort of a way to try and bring those two sides together. Uh, the, the work that I've been doing in mixing the 
Indian classical and Western classical. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the identity part of it is that is my identity. Is how do you how do you bring those two things together, especially when they were for me when when the two cultures were separated for for so long. I'd like to talk a little bit about your experience just generally as a person in the world of art. So as grad students, we're all sort of starting to explore what possibilities are available to us once we leave. Many of us have experience in the industry from before we came here. What was your experience like leaving the college world and then you went back to school for a variety of different things? Mm -hmm. How have you navigated the industry? How have you found the collaborators that you work with quite a lot well, I think a lot of it, you know, they, they always say that it comes down to who you know, and I, you know, that's, that is the essential piece of advice, really, is know as many people as possible. <laughs> um, you know, one of the lucky things about Sarah Lawrence is that you are so close to New York City, and you can go to things. So when I got out of school, I stayed in touch with people that I had done things with here, and that was my early performance experiences outside of Sarah Lawrence, was to still performing music from people that I went to school with. And then they introduced me to other people. I went to lots of concerts. I introduced myself to people. And the more I just stayed out on the scene, meeting people, performing, and making connections that way, that's, that's sort of what has led to anything that has happened afterwards. Um, you know, and I, I think that that's the real reason you go to grad school is to meet people, and those are going to be the people that you continue to work with after grad school. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I and I, I credit that for for anything that I have right now. It's all because of people that I met along the way, going back to Sarah Lawrence, um, and then you know collaborations that happened after I left because of the people that I met at Sarah Lawrence. Um, yeah, pretty much everything. And it wasn't just, not just uh, other students also, but my teachers. One of my teachers from Sarah Lawrence, his now ex-wife was in the Philip Glass Ensemble, but she gave me a lot of my early performing experiences when I got out of school. She contracted me to sing on Einstein on the Beach at Carnegie Hall and a few other things. And through through her and other people, I met I met a lot of the the contacts that I have now um yeah so so that that there really is a direct line back to being in school here is there anything that you would change about your experience in the industry or about the industry in general if you could do that for future generations (laughs) um wow that could take like another 20 minutes to answer that question (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. No, but I mean, I think that there really still are structural inequalities that are that exist. You know, so when we talk about networks and saying go and meet lots of people, that's obviously still going to be more difficult for women and for people of color just because the, the gatekeeping part of it is still very much one race, one color, one, one gender. And you know, that's, that's an obstacle that we still have to keep fighting against to, to overcome. So it's not going to be as easy as it sounds just saying go out and go to concerts and meet people. Mm-hmm. If there were one thing, that would be the thing that I would change is to make the sort of higher levels, uh, administrative and, and gatekeeping levels also equally diverse so that there is more of a pipeline from 
school to to higher greater opportunities because it's not there yet but hopefully we're developing it so that it will be but but it's not there yet you mentioned that you worked on a uh, virtual opera for virtual reality yes and i would love to hear about that um, so this was a collaboration with a company called Opera on Tap that is here in New York, and we're one of the co-producers of my show at Here Looking at You. Opera on Tap and I had worked a few years ago on what was going to be an immersive comedic murder mystery opera that was meant to take place in three rooms at the same time so that when you have sopranos hitting high notes, they would harmonize with each other through the walls. So we had this idea of doing this um, kind of immersive thing anyway. And so uh, the, some students at the NYU ITP program came to Opera on Tap and asked if they had anything that could work for virtual reality. So they thought of this murder mystery piece, but it was 40 minutes long. And at that point, uh, you couldn't stay in VR for longer than 10 minutes without getting sick. So we decided to make something new, and um, I have a deep love of horror movies, and had just met a librettist who also has a deep love of horror movies, so we decided to make a horror opera, and virtual reality, one of the things you have to figure out is why is the viewer there, so we decided it would be a virtual reality horror opera about the male gaze, um, and that's, we did one episode of it, it's on Samsung VR, and we're, we're trying to finish it now, but we need more funding. <laughs> All right, I think that's all we have time for, but thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and those of you who are listening, we will be back uh, next semester with our next guest.